Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, I'm so happy you're joining us today. We are speaking to a dear friend of mine who I just adore, and I actually had the very good fortune of really spending time with him online during COVID when we were um, inside a clubhouse room having open conversations and discussions, and that is my beautiful friend Scott Johnson. I've had the privilege of practicing in his yoga space with him facilitating and teaching twice. The first time was in Tenerife, uh, which he was teaching a retreat, the retreat right before my retreat in Tenerife earlier this year. And that is again happening next year where we will be teaching back-to-back retreats um, at the beginning of March. So I'm looking forward to being able to catch up with him again in person. And then uh, just a few months ago, I was passing through London and had the uh, blessing of stepping into his beautiful space at London Bridge, practicing with him in person, and again, just experiencing his wonderful energy and his very comforting adjustments that feel so nurturing to me. And I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation with him. It's talking all about yoga, his particular viewpoint of the practice and teaching and facilitating. And I found this poem that he wrote that I I just love that is the practice is a process and there is no final pose only a never-ending way to discover how space can be nurtured in a moment. When loving ourselves, it helps to understand that we have come this far. So if you know Scott Johnson, you are going to just adore this conversation. If you've never met him before, I'm sure you will also really love this conversation and you can follow him on Instagram and just be inspired by his poetry, by his artful posts. They're always so beautiful to read and beautiful photos as well. And if you haven't listened to the interview on his Still Life YouTube channel, uh, he interviewed me also back in March and you can catch these gorgeous little um, clips that he's made interviewing different students and teachers um, and asking them questions, questions about their own um, story, their own experience with yoga and spiritual practice. And I think you'll just really love these clips and these stories. Um, They're short, they're about 20 minutes. And they're really, really inspiring, really, really motivating to keep you practicing. So definitely check out his YouTube channel with this beautiful Still Life Portraits project that he's doing. And you can catch him all over. He's touring a lot, um, many different locations still where he's teaching throughout this year and next year. And if you'd like to practice with me, I will be in Spain in September. Uh, Barcelona at the middle of September and then followed directly by Madrid and I would love to see you and have you come practice with me. It'll be five days of Mysore in Barcelona, 
Five Days of Mysore in Madrid, also both locations having different workshops, and it will be a beautiful offering and time to check in, to practice, to enjoy the sights and the uh, vibes of the Spanish culture in these beautiful cities. Um, I would just love to see you and uh, help you deepen your practice in whatever way you feel you're ready for. So that's what's going on for this year. And the best place to find me if you're in Europe is definitely in Spain in about a month, less than a month, a few weeks now. So definitely register and save your spots. And Russell and I will actually be teaching in Cleveland, Ohio in November. It's a special art and yoga offering. So we'll be touring the art gallery and as well as teaching Mysore and having in-depth workshops. It's one of the few chances that you'll be able to uh, dive into practicing with both of us together. So if you're in the U.S. and you'd like to sign up for that, you can find all of the information in the show notes and on my website, harmonyslater.com forward slash events. So you can find all the links there. I hope that you just sit back, relax, put your feet up, and just enjoy this gentle, um, warm conversation with Scott Johnson, diving into the depth of the practice, meditation, yoga, the transformation that it's had for him personally in his life and his own journey and story to uh, how he ended up where he is now uh, as an international yoga superstar <laughs> um, and there's some also some offerings you can catch up with him and as well as Greg Nardi who we've also interviewed a few years ago on the podcast um, in their teacher training in Goa India next year as well as an adjustment clinic they're doing this year at some point I think in London so uh, lots of opportunities for deepening your yoga practice in person so let's get to it. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony, and I'm here with Russell Case. Harmony. Yeah. Uh, based on the success of last week's episode, okay. uh, Warner Brothers came to us with a, a deal uh -huh. to promote the Barbie film. Okay, yeah. That went really well. We made $25. <laughs> uh, this week, um, based on the content of last week's episode, um, the production company behind Elvis, the Boz Lerman film, yeah. came to us, yeah. and like they one. didn't offer us enough money, so oh, I turned them down. Well, too bad. That's a shame. But what <laughs> we have instead of Elvis, <laughs> we have Scott Johnson Yay! from the British I mean, Isles. I'm happy to talk about Barbie. Oh, it's great. <laughs> it was I haven't good. seen Elvis. Oh, but Barbie was amazing. Barbie yeah, is a much, much better film. <laughs> wow. It is a, it's a work of art. Uh, Elvis was a fucking no, shit show. No, he didn't show. like Elvis. I liked Elvis. I watched <laughs> oh, it twice. I haven't, fucking I've Bosler heard Lerman mixed sucks. reviews about Elvis, for sure. My brother really yeah, likes it. Like no, Bosler it's, Elvis is Lerman. great. Don't get me wrong. Elvis is great. The actor that played Elvis is magnificent. It's the fucking director. He doesn't like that director. Holes. He doesn't watch anything that that director does. Oh, I have to force him to watch rubbish. Elvis. Rubbish. Well, Baz That's Lerman. more personal. Yeah, he is a bit. Like he's a bit. I am. I'm in a. I'm. I, I have a master's degree in fine art. <laughs> it doesn't matter. To it me. does. <laughs> it makes Baz a Lerman, difference is it? when you when you. Uh, 
<laughs> he is a bit Marmite. We call him Marmite in the UK because you either like him or you hate him. Fuck. That's true. So, so, my fucking... I also it's love Marmite. Too... Oh, it's too <laughs> salty by far. What's that? Uh, right? <laughs> It's just too maybe there's much like salt. a correlation. That's the thing. It's like you don't like Baz Luhrmann. It's like a baroque salt cellar. It's too much salt. I That's what it, it is. But then me, me and Harmony have much. never done fine arts. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> it's your your folk artists. That's it. We're folk artists. <laughs> folk yeah. artists. That's I'll nice. Take that. Yeah, we are. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. yeah. Do you? You you work in still life, is that right, still Scott? Life. <laughs> and did you come from an arts background to do still life? I mean, that's how we met, Russell, in Brighton years ago. You drew me. <laughs> don't you remember? You drew Scott in a still life. I don't remember drawing Scott. Did and I you have you like, over that's to me? Really good name for a yoga. You said that's a really good name for a yoga studio. You should use that one day. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I can't quite tell if he's kidding or not. And if I did have him in my house in Brighton, I think you Julie did. Martin's I mean... flat. Did you come over to Julie Martin's flat? And did I draw you? Do I still have it in don't my room? Remember. <laughs> I mean, you said you're going to put it on know. your wall. <laughs> Is that good? No, I must have. I must not have put it on my wall. Yeah. Did no, you, you really down, study man. with me at the Brighton Natural Health Center? I don't think so. I don't think you did. No, I know I never, that I came I did. to Kent. I came to I Kent. Booked you. I booked you for a week uh, for a weekend. Yeah, and I came. And you did. I it was tore really nice. it's fun. I tore me piriformis out and I couldn't walk for like two, three years. It was I was I was on fire that day. <laughs> And I did a little dwee potty demo. It was the best dwee potty I've ever done. I felt like Maya Heiss. That's how fucking good it was. I was like straight up. My legs are straight back. It's like, look, it's easy. I just got off the plane from India. Look how fucking easy dwee potty was. And I and I I herniated so many discs. I haven't been I haven't been the same since, honestly. <laughs> Oh no! Thank well, you. I'm sorry that happened on my yeah. workshop. <laughs> we Kent, all had a great that's time. That's what I associate <laughs> with Kent. It was it was all his own. We had fault, a great time. So you know. Yeah. No, yeah. we have. We did. We did meet. I did book you, and it was fun. And it was the one time we've met in person. And, yeah. Uh, I don't. That's and right. that was the thing. Like, it was right. That was years ago. It was around 2005, six, something like that. And I started. Um, I remember going to first ever workshops I used to go to was in Oxford with. Did you ever go and see Ian um, McDonald? Oh, I went, I've seen yes. Ian so many fucking times. Yeah, yeah. He so he started good old Ian. Workshops. Yeah, he's an amazing man. Anyway, well, so he's... I started going there in two thousand two. I was there a couple of weeks back teaching. I'll always oh. go there. He's always oh, nice. funny. He's such a lovely thing. Anyway, he, I oh, remember when fixture. I started going going up there and seeing that he was doing workshops and thinking I could do that in my area. So I did. And yeah, you, were the, yeah. you were one of the first yeah. people I booked. Because I knew you were down oh, in Brighton, so I'd, cool. heard, I'd heard lovely things about you, and that's where oh, I met one of my, my so really nice. close friends, uh, Guy. Um, guy, I know Guy. Yeah, I've got guy. actually, yeah, guy. I've got his, I've got a print of his in the other room. I kept his yeah. work. 
A cat. His. I'll, I'll go get it. He was a painter. Should I go get it? No. 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 <laughs> no he's a printmaker, and I have a print of a Shtanga Yoga Brighton. Oh, that's yeah. yeah, that's guy. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, that's guy. guy that's where I first met Guy, and we've been friends ever since. <laughs> but oh, yeah, wow. so that's where that's where that's why I first met Russell. The only time I met Russell. Um, but <laughs> you I never, never met down... on a John Scott workshop or anything. No, I don't. I, I don't, don't think so. Well, we're, we're, did you ever go to a John Scott workshop, Russell? I went down to Penzance and I brought me tent and I ate wild garlic and uh, pot noodles for a week. And then I would make my little way to his studio and uh, do the yoga and uh, watch him and Lucy fight. And then uh, I'd, I'd go home and I'd sleep in me tent and eat me my 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 wild garlic that I dug out of someone's backyard. And then uh, I had a wonderful time. That's great. Came home. Yeah, that's all. That's what happens when you go to Cornwall. That's right. <laughs> you eat wild garlic and live in a tent. Yeah, just basically, that is it. Yeah, live in a tent and watch people fight. <laughs> and watch I people was fight. Stone broke. I couldn't have been more poor at that time in my life. Uh, God, the garlic really helped you, the pot noodles. Honestly, it helped it a lot. Although then you didn't get really yeah. adjusted a lot in the in the studio because you smelled so much. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's why everyone was avoiding him. you. Lucy's like going like that as he walks past. Oh <laughs> right, oh. Lucy. Yeah. I quite fancied Lucy. She was really quite sexy in like a giant motherly way. And John was so small, and I thought, how are the two of them together? But I, th- I, I really kind of wanted her for myself. Did you feel that way about her too? <laughs> I think I, what I what I loved about both of them is they had, you know, they did have this kind of energy. And but when he was on point, it was amazing. They had these like they had two. They were two different sides of the same coin. I think uh, if when they when they connected. He was just like mm-hmm. you know this. He's a he's a genius, crazy genius, and she mm-hmm. has the ability to see things incredibly deeply and meticulously. And when they came together in those early years, when they were when they were when we were learning from them, we used to have we used to go there and it used to be eight to ten people, and they'd be like they wouldn't have any more than that, and they'd be like doing double adjustments and stuff like that. And so it was mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. this incredible. It's almost they put you in this container. Um, so I thought though, I thought she, I mean, Lucy was an amazing, an amazing teacher in her own right. You know, she's like, she was able mm-hmm. to, she's taught me some of the things that I still like, I still hold on to today that I help with today and help me to see. So to see, um, things in students and, you know, have a look, see things that come up in particular, just particular energies and stuff like that. So Lucy's just like, I've always got a lot of time. I love for the time I spent mm. with her. Um, but yeah. the both of she them kind of reminded well. me like of the both of them. Yeah. Well, the both of them were incredible. Like together, when well, like you said, when they were, when they were like aligned. Sometimes they wouldn't, <laughs> be, but when they were aligned, they were a force. They were two of the. I mean, they were the best, the best teachers I've ever worked with. Oh, for sure. At, at she that kind time, of reminded me of like, Christina Ireland, like a kind of Amazon woman like a force of of feminine strength that mm. um when it's in full flower like is the is a indomitable 
force that men just have to get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that could, you could say, that's a kind of a good, uh, yeah, you could say that about her for sure. Yeah. But it was an amazing time that, you know, when, and, you know, it's, it's compared to what it is now, like those, I, I look back at those, those first 10 years of practice up until, probably up to the point when Bataba Joyce passed away, um, yeah. where those, for me, and, I, and, and for me in the UK and studying with John and just knowing me and John and knowing that he was my teacher and those guys were my teachers was just like really potent. Felt like a really potent, for me, a potent time. <clears throat> Yeah, um, to study I'd love, to, I'd love to dive I, into that a little bit. Yeah, like sure. what, what I mean, yeah. what was it? I, I don't know. I, I like this idea, this, this, this idea of finding your teacher or like identifying a teacher. And I feel like it's something that was like really um, highlighted in those early days. Like you need to have a teacher. And who's your teacher? Mm. Like those were questions that that we'd get asked a lot. Yeah, it's not I, as popular now. That, and yeah, think, so I'm curious, like what your thoughts are around that. I think it's, um, I remember like learning from John and he was the, you know, that was the one thing when we learned from him and we learned about being teachers and stuff. He, he said to us, like when you, someone comes in, you ask them who their teacher is. <laughs> <laughs> and that was right. that, and that, mm-hmm. but that came from that came from Joyce, and I, I imagine, I think, I asked some people, and Sharat still asks that, like, who's your teacher? And I think yeah. it's to kind of yeah, work. They, out I mean, it's on the some, application form. Yeah, so it works to work out the kind of like idea of consistency, but there, but it felt like I don't know in Ashtanga it, back then it was like it was less there was less teachers about, and it felt like. I know. I felt I really wanted to connect with someone. Again, it was just like I met John in a workshop in 2002 and came away going, yeah, he's, he's the one. Mm-hmm. He's the mm-hmm. one, you know. And it was only what because was like... What was it that made him the one? Um, well, I've been studying for like six months, only six months or so. And mm-hmm. um, and I'd been studying yoga for, since 1999 um, uh, and just doing weekly classes. I had a really beautiful teacher who um, was a Hatha yoga teacher and she used to introduce shiatsu techniques and <clears throat> talk right from that early stage about energy lines. Um, mm-hmm. and, she, uh, and she was great. She got me to, I remember the first time I ever like relaxed into a pose and it was in her class and it was in doing trikonasana. And she said, Scott, just like just soften your hip and knee a bit. And I just went, okay. I just went, oh, oh wow. Okay. And it just kept going. I just <laughs> felt like I, it was like, I just went, oh, that's what other, and I'd never felt that kind of sense of my body shifting. So there was something quite, uh. I had something quite um, already um that was there around rather it just being about moving it was just a feeling of listening and feeling things as they change and noticing the, the ways that they did yeah 
And then, uh, and it was her actually who got me the first the John Scott book when he came out in two thousand and one. I think it was two thousand, two thousand one, yeah. something like that. Yeah, that's I right. Looking, right. Opening it and looking at the pictures, I'd heard about Ashtanga, but I'd never done it at all, and I didn't know anything about it. I just sort of taught. I'd been with my teacher who was had the yoga and shiatsu, and it was just doing these nice poses. And you started with pose of a child, and it was just quite kind of slow. I remember looking at this book and going, it looks amazing. How the hell is he doing that? You know, what's like, yeah. what's the, what's that? And I didn't even know what vinyasa was and stuff like that. Right. Um, I remember going and then, uh, so I had the book, but I had no clue what Stanger was. I was just enjoying these classes. And then I went to Sydney uh, with Louisa when Herbie was young uh, and it was there that I first started Shtango and it was just like I remember coming out of the class it was a guided class and it was just we was doing the poses that I recognized but we just kept going and I'm like surely at some point we're going to stop and um, <laughs> I love that feeling worse, you know what I mean like and it was just like surely at some point we're going to stop and I'm just sweating and sweating more and I'm going what like and then at the end I was just like this puddle and just but yeah. like I came out I came out of that room and was just like, what is this? What is this I'm feeling? Because I felt like yeah. I'd never felt before or like before without mm-hmm. like the, you know, it, um, naturally feeling this incredible sense of um, lightness. Like it was the lightness. Yeah. Um, more than it was just like, going, what do I said, what is this? It was almost I walked down back down the street and it felt like I was... <clears throat> Just a little bit, a little bit walking higher than off the floor. It's hard to explain. And then I was sold, and I came back, and uh, I found a class that was local to me. And then six months later, I, I, I met John Scott. I went to his workshop in Oxford with Ian McDonald um, and Josephine, who are really good friends. And um, and I remember going to that. I remember there was a particular family. Um, there's a stressful family situation going on at the time. And I remember going there, and it was quite full on. I remember going there feeling <clears throat> really heavy, thinking, should I be going here? <clears throat> yeah. And um, I said, no, I'm going to go. And going on the way up there, driving there, feeling, you know, when something really is weighing on you and it's like heavy. And, yeah. And yeah. I went there and then just spent the weekend just with this, doing with all these people, like about 45, 50 people. And then coming out of the workshop, <clears throat> And um, the same, the situation hadn't changed, right? But I could yeah. not stop smiling. Like mm. for some reason, no. I could, the situation, nothing of the situation changed. But I just could not stop smiling all the way back in the car on the way back. I was just like, it was like, it was really mad. I was thinking I was mad because I had this real sense of, again, that sense of lightness in me, this lift, and yeah. and I just really massively connected to the. I'd never been in such a potent group of people before. I'd never been in, in such a... There's a man who had children um, who was, you know, who was a father, who was saying things, who was, you know, that were really, like, I was landing. Everything he was saying was landing in relationships to what I understood about what I was doing. And yeah. um, I thought it, it was kind of... All, it was all like the weekend was just like this mash of... You know, your first workshop is intense. You're like going, what? There's always kind of big wide eyes. And at the same time, this situation in my life, just it, the, the way it, it, I changed the way I saw it, where I'd mm-hmm. never had that before either. So it was just like this, it gave me this ability to 
look at things differently. And I hadn't, I'd never, I'd never known that was possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised to hear that actually, because just like listening to you and and feeling your vibe. You strike me as a quite a, um, a sensitive and and thoughtful person who's kind of admiring and and watching what's occurring. You were talking about the the line, the energy lines of the body, and and I I wondered if you were you were one of those fellows that paid attention to like the way lines between like Stonehenge and Avebury, and and had a kind of um, uh, a cultural affinity. For that, like you might be like just a wee, a wee touched, in and there might be something like that in your family. Um, I think my mum's got some kind of spiritual um, whackery in there. <laughs> but but yeah, um, whackery. That's I think... the word I was looking for. Yeah, where's the whackery, um... Scott? Where's that come from? <laughs> but I yeah. think you know, I had a really, I had a really heavy upbringing, and so I, you know, I, I got to. You know, so I was, I am, I was quite sensitive, but I didn't know what to do with that sensitivity. You know, I, I definitely feel like, you know, a number of things. Yeah, yoga has um, massively helped me to get in touch with what I sense and what I feel in relationship to the world <clears throat> um, mm. and my place in it, you know, also being a father. Um, mm, yeah. But I think... No, I had like I there was it was only once I started. I mean, I I had a really like yeah, I had it up until I was my early twenties. It I wasn't really wasn't really happy at all. I felt like I was struggling against struggling against life. Um, uh, and then you know I got married and met Louise. And it was great. That was amazing. But I was still having. I still felt that there was something really missing, which I was I wasn't able to hold on to. I didn't have any control. Um, but, and so but were I you think stomping point... around with a with like a mohawk and Doc Martens? <laughs> like were you like were you throwing were you throwing bottles through windows? Like what what did it look like? What did, what did heaviness look like? Well, no, I was like, I mean, no, I because I I mean, I went to you know, I I left. I said I had to leave home when I was eighteen. I had no choice, <clears throat> and then I was f- like fumbling around trying to work out, you know, where to live and just here, here, here there, and everywhere. And then for me, I got massively into the rave culture in the early UK, you know, so I yeah. kind of got into going to like raves, like right when it kicked off in the early 90s, it was amazing. It was such an amazing time, but it was also this kind of something that I used to just disassociate, I think, as well. <clears throat> went into, mm-hmm. I went into, went into the party life and just the, everything that came with it. Um, <clears throat> and it was just almost like I was, like, you know, tuning to a certain degree, tuning out, but I didn't know what I was tuning into or tuning out from. Um, mm. And I think <clears throat> for a lot of time, a lot of my young years, I, um, yeah, I struggled with thinking of where, where my place was just because like, <clears throat> out of like, and my mum was an alcoholic when I was, you know, until I was 15, until I was 15. <clears throat> so I had, I didn't have like, I didn't have a, a she always I've got a lot of love for her but she um but she was really unwell for a lot of my childhood so I had nothing mm-hmm. with her to hold on to so I got into my early 20s um not having any not having any rudder just did not sure where yeah. I was going um and well I felt rudderless you know 
Um, yeah. And then I and the the best thing I ever did was like, oh, well, I met Louise, and then we went traveling. And when I went traveling, that opened my eyes up because I didn't. You know, I went so we went to India, we went to Thailand, we spent fifteen months going around the world, and that was the point where I went, Amazing. oh, life, life can be like this because I yeah. had no, I lived, just lived, grew up in a. So like a like right on the edge of London in a suburb of the county of Kent, um, in just this, you know, where there was didn't really feel like there was any opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. and I felt so there was kind of like I felt kind of quite, um, yeah, I had no, I had like I said, the idea of being rudderless was right because I just didn't know who I was, what I was going for, what I stood for. Like, it was like, um, and it was just that when that, when I did that Ashtanga yoga class and I went traveling, right, mm. it was that. But when I came out of that Ashtanga yoga class, I went, that, that was almost the first point for myself, on my own, where I went, what is that? What does, what is that feeling? How can you feel like that yeah. without taking yeah. anything? Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, what yeah. is totally. that? How is, how, is, how is that? Because it was just, I'd never experienced something like that without, from a, we had, you know, from a, like we I went raving and stuff like that. So we did the, we did the stuff there. But it was just a real kind of real moments where you just stop and you go. Well, for me, it was like that felt. I just needed to, to kind of not get it again, but go explore what it meant. Um, yeah, so it's so powerful. And, like that yeah. first time you touch into spirit, right? Or you like your essence, or higher consciousness or that energy, that like infinite source of energy is so powerful to realize like, oh, this is in me all the time. And it's, yeah, but you've it's, never but it's had not, that it's, experience. It's like. Yeah. And it's, but it's not even having a name for it. It's going, what the hell is that? Like, because it, it's <laughs> yeah. so, it's mm-hmm. so not what your normal way of seeing the world is. It just goes, yeah. here's this experience. And it's like, yeah. And so it was like, well, it wasn't chasing that, but it was chasing the fact that there was something that happened that created that, <clears throat> or create or created a way it got. And, then, and so there was the moment in Sydney, but then there was a moment with John when I came back from John's thing, which was like, oh gosh, so I can stuff can be really heavy in my life, and I don't. It doesn't have to be heavy. I can, yeah, like I can sit with it and it still be the same but it's I don't have to kind of hold it so hard and it was totally. just and it was these kind of these sensitivities like Russell were kind of were were just coming out because I was going what what's how's that because it because it mm-hmm. there hadn't been it hadn't been that you know I was just I and it was the first times where I'm going well I'm looking and I'm not having to chase anything that chase anything that that gets that it's just this experience of just feeling okay and feeling a little bit more heightened and going well I didn't realize that was possible Mm. I didn't realize that was there and like and then and then that's where the sensitivity becomes because you go what what's that and then you go back and it's it's just initially it's fleeting because you go what's that and then and then you go back into like and then the thoughts coming again but there's that kind of ripple of something that you hold on to that you go, well, there's a possibility. So I think, you know, when I met John, um, you know, the, going back to your thing around a teacher, like, 
Yeah. I still I still feel like teachers can be really valuable if they're the right person at the right time. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think especially now, like in this age, with so many teachers, we still there's still teachers can be really valuable and really important and hold really um, hold really uh, valuable things. Mm-hmm. But there's like I love more that too. Like now. yeah, and like about the right the person at the right time. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like anything, you know, like, well, I mean, you know, like I, it was a bit like, you know, I, it wasn't like, I think I saw the thing with Bataba Joyce and was thinking, I want to have a teacher like that. And so I definitely, and I saw the reverence that, 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 that you all gave um, Bataba Joyce. And I think for a little while, I, I, that, I created that in John. Which to a certain mm-hmm. degree I needed, but then it didn't become healthy. So I had to kind of like then, you know, sit around kind of going, okay, so like when we became friends, it became more of a, an even thing, you know. But I was, yeah. you know, I was still, I'd still been his, I'd still massively looked up to him for about 10 years, you know, when, so when, you, when you place someone on a pedestal, that kind of thing. And now we're kind of but working it- out what it means well, to have a teacher and whether whether we can place them somewhere, but also it's the whether the teacher allows themselves to be placed and things like that. So I think there's yeah. more of like a kind of, um, but I definitely, but for me, and I think it was important for me to do that, you know, to have, have a mentor or like it was almost like that mm-hmm. felt like what it was. Yeah. Can I ask you, you both a question? I, I'm just kind of, thinking about this just now and uh, uh, about parenting and thinking about the um the guru as a kind of pseudo parent and we project onto the guru a kind of parent parental figure and then we very often now we're talking about the asymmetrical power uh balance uh, between the student and the guru and how that can be really unhealthy and it can be really dangerous. But we don't talk about that with a parent. Like the parent is uh, much more powerful than the child. And the we expect the parent to make decisions for the child. We expect the parent to to look after the child. But sometimes the, the parent is, um, you know... Um, making narcissistic choices <laughs> that are not in the best interest of the child. We see that a lot, but, um, you know, we don't, um, we, we, we don't cancel them or, you know, put a, sometimes we do <laughs> ha- like a hash, like we don't hashtag me to our parents, you know? Um, I'm just wondering like, could. Uh, <laughs> let's you, do it. So I, I mean, I'm depends what they do. Depends the, what they do, but <laughs> yeah, we, I'm trying to get to the root of the question, and I think it's um, we don't hold gurus, we we don't give gurus the same slack that we give parents, and and why not? Why not treat a a, um, a, a guru as a well, asymmetrical parent? I mean, the thing about it is you have parents because they're your parents, right? You have the guru <laughs> yeah. because you've chosen you because you've chosen to put that person to be a certain person in your life. You know, the mm-hmm. parent. I'm a parent to like my children. And when you said about this, this thing around like saying like I have to I have to watch my narcissistic tendencies. Like when I when yeah. I have yeah. if I have to because as a parent you have to be 
um, you have to look at yourself as you make choices around your children. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you just continue yeah. to place place your own kind of biases and your own kind of way on them. And you're kind of parenting is this kind of balance between, you know, me and Louise kind of like really spent this lovely balanced way of trying to bring up the children so that we gave them just enough rope to yeah. understand who, who they are. Um, you know, our job is to get them to 18 without, you know, a life. Yeah. We're making choices and we're having to look and go, where, where am I in this decision also? Mm-hmm. And what, and you never can really because you're always you're you're always a product of your own upbringing. You're always a product of your yeah. own. Mm-hmm. You know, which is why I had to be like for me, be like you know, like really looking to myself about when I was doing those early years of just parenting because of my mum. But when it looks at when you look yeah. at like um, so you so you're looking at when parenting. My my philosophy is that you're look you're looking at yourself a lot. You know, when I when I yeah. when I had Herbie, I was just like, "Well, I'm not going out partying anymore. I'm not doing anything like that." Mm. So there's no the one thing I didn't want to do was wake up like when he was young and he see me any different than when I put him to bed. Yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, that's you know, horrid. Because I didn't know yeah. I didn't know my mum was gonna who my mum was gonna be because she was, and she's fine with me talking about all this because she's been in recovery for like thirty five years and she's she's a she's yeah. she's I've got so much love and respect for her journey. So I had this kind of thing. Well, I you know all I want for them is to be loved, to feel like they can be loved, to to journey into the world with that um, around them, so they can feel and and move in the way that's right for them and I think you you do have to be you watch I mean you see parents all the time like we're in the school down in the school playground you see so many people placing their own stuff on their kids yeah Yeah. and that's the thing you know you're the hardest thing you have to do is get out of your own way when you're parenting and Mm -hmm. there's this balance between you wanting what something for them and what they want and you know there's this thing around you there they are people like the, mm-hmm. the, even though they're young, they are people with their views of the world, their unique creative outlooks as output. And what we are trying yeah. to do is nurture, encourage that creativity. This is the thing I, I totally believe in, that we all have this in, innate creativity. Our job is to help our children to find out what that is so they can be comfortable to live in a world with who they are. And that, and so I, we have to get out of the way, not impose my stuff on them and say, you're going to do this or you're going to do that. What is it? That, what is, what are the signs? What are you, what are they being drawn to? Well, that's really, it's really beautifully said. And to just to follow the parallel, it's, I think it's not so dissimilar from being a, a yoga teacher where you're kind of looking out with love on your students and you're trying to inspire their creativity and not just dogmatically control them, but also like you're giving them boundaries to kind of fall between, to keep them safe, right? And at the same time, like there's also this this um, very difficult uh, balance to take where you don't really just want to be their friend because mates don't give you necessarily uh, good boundaries. You know, and, and and yet as a yoga teacher, I often wanted to kind of blur those boundaries and be friends with my students and create 
um, unethical situations for myself, you know, <laughs> so I found my, I, you know, I, I found myself in that kind of situation, you know, where it's like, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm not being a good teacher right now. I think there's, I think, you know, it comes back to your question around like parenting and like gurus and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. well, when you look at like, when you look at like, when you look at for us as a parent, right? You know, we have this innate relationship, like with our children, and it's kind of like in, that thing is locked, you know. Yeah. yeah. And that's from birth. You know, if you look at Harmon, it gave birth. You know, what I mean, that's even more than me. So you look at her. That that you know, you know, yeah. uh, she gave birth to to her son. So like from there, there's the there's the innate relationship that grows from there. And the same with me. I watched all three of them. You know, some of the most profound experiences. Yeah. Probably the most profound experience of my life is watching those three children being born and you and seeing the innate yeah. primal nature. So you're you got that deep link. Well, we, when we look at the idea around the idea of gurus, is we we we're adults and we're in a place where they or someone or something has affected us so much that we go, now you mean this to me. Mm-hmm. now now you now you mean this to me which means we've got this the the parents child thing is this thing that's locked the the, yeah. the 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 guru student thing is this thing that's created through this this mm-hmm. this momentary relationship or ongoing thing or something that comes up and everything and the timing's right and you lick and you clock like that and so then it's big then but then the thing is we're adults more often than not, yeah. we're adults. We're adults yeah. going, right, now you mean this to me and it's important. And now, you know, I remember speaking to Greg when I, when I, when I, I wanted Greg on the podcast, right, on my podcast, Still Points. Yeah. Greg Nardi. All yeah. I, yeah. You know, Greg Nardi, yeah. He's my, he's, yeah, you love him. He's like one of my best friends. And all I wanted him to talk to me about was what his, what, what a guru is for him, what, yeah. what mm-hmm. happens and what happens when it falls away. And so what he yeah. said is like, I said to him, what did, what did it mean to you? He said, when I looked at Batava Joyce, his, he, he was in my heart. Mm-hmm. And so we place these people in, in our heart. Now, I don't know, perhaps that did mean he's some kind of, Batava Joyce was a father figure or something like that. But there was that sense yeah. of like, he'd, he'd placed him in there. And it, would, it was like, and then, and then the thing is when, and when everything hit around Bataba Joyce and the sexual abuse, then he had to then deal with the fallout of that kind of um, heaviness about having to kind of um, then feel that he had to let that go. And I really watched mm. him go through some gr- massive grief. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the other thing, you know, but, but so there is, you know, but, this is the other thing around looking at what happened with Bataba Joyce because I've spoken to enough people about it and said, what did, what did you know? What did you do? And they said, well, we didn't do anything because he was like a father to us and you don't like, you, didn't, you can't talk to your father like that. And it was a really interesting to hear it mm. in those words. Like mm. he, was yeah. a, he was like, a lot of people said he was, a, he was this father figure or grandfather, all that kind of thing. And a like, lot well, we couldn't, of We didn't people. feel like we could say that to him. And so, it's, uh, I don't know. Want I don't know what. Well, you know what I mean? Totally. So I mean, I think it's so world. interesting. 
Yeah, that we, I mean, and, and what you're speaking to is, I mean, there's, there's so much we could talk about in this, in this metaphor of, of children and parents and, you know, children get to a stage. I mean, my son's there right now where everything I do is so annoying and like he's, you're you not know, cool, mom. self-defining mm. and stepping into his own, you know, personhood and really separating himself from you know, me as like this central figure in his life. And so I think it's very natural, this kind of progression of the Mm -hmm. relationship and then redefining roles. And I think that's something you could probably speak to in your own experience with John Scott of sort of projecting onto him sort of this role as like a central figure, a mentor, a teacher, you know, maybe even a guru and then also kind of having to like renegotiate that at some point of mm. like, mm. who am I on my own? Mm. How do I step yeah. into my yeah. own authority yeah. as a teacher and like be me without you as a central figure governing all of my thoughts and actions and teaching style? Who am I? Who am I as a teacher? And then having to circle back kind of after separating and renegotiate that, that connection again. Yeah, I mean, does that resonate? To, when it comes, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does because we have to look at like I think we have to look at the changing nature of our parents of us, like our relationship with our children, and look at yeah. it in relationship to the same age when we were and our parents, and because yeah. we forget, we get yeah. so consumed, we get so consumed going, oh my god, they're changing and it's really hard and blah blah blah, and you forget at the same <laughs> age you were just like bye. bye mom bye dad i don't want to be with you i want to be with my mates and they're much more fun than you and all that kind of thing and so this is like everyone this is all of us this is us when we were their age and there was that their mom and everything works out like that and so you know when i thought i saw that i'm like of course of course they're like you know, of course, they're starting to change. You know, you watch the, and these are the, this is the beautiful, like, way that you watch the evolution of, you know, of, of childhood and your own, and your own, and your own way as a person yourself. You, you're challenged by that, but you change yourself at the same time. Not only are your yeah. children, we have to, we, this is the beautiful thing about practice, right? Is that, and having a practice is that, you know, you always see that you're changing. Yeah. And your children are totally. changing. Mm-hmm. And as your children, you can change with them. Yeah. Like, uh, but if you stay the same, you're going, ah, oh, but like that, you have to navigate yourself as they're navigating their self. It's just that they're going through that primal stage of puberty and stuff like that, where they're, all of these things mm-hmm. are just happening and everything's exciting. And we're seeing it and not and going, oh, no, but I wish it was stayed. I wish they were like still small. Like, no, it's not going to happen. So, what do you have to do? <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. What do you have to do in yourself yeah. to be able to mature? There's a maturity yeah. going on in everyone all the time around the different things that occur by by being together. Yeah. And I think this is the yeah. I think this is the I think this is the new like if we look at like the way that we interact in yoga and the way that we connect and the way that we teach and the way that's received, I think there is this new maturity arising which is about yeah. into relationship and not, and not hierarchy, but more like there's experience, but then the experience mm-hmm. is coming alive between us. And like, yes, there might be projection and like trans, trans, 
interference, but it's my job mm-hmm. as a teacher to be able to spot that and go, no, 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 to kind of yeah. to kind of go, you you become you be your own person. Don't put. I mean, I, I like people having like coming to my workshops over and over again in my classes, and they get a lot. Yeah. But also, I don't place myself on any kind of pedestal. I try not to. Because I don't think that's yeah. healthy. I think for me, it feels more healthy for me. You know, it felt more healthy for me to kind of, I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's, do you know what? I think for me, it's just been teaching my soul for like, you know, since 2009 in London Bridge, that's when I opened my Charla. Mm-hmm. And I opened it up because as a response to John, to John and Lucy, like, and it was just like really valuable and, I, and and that's the other thing is that when I when I discovered that I loved Ashtanga yoga and I discovered I wanted to be a teacher, the only thing I ever wanted to do, I didn't want to do anything else other than just run a Mysore program. That was mm. the yeah. only thing I ever it's, wanted to do. Yeah, it's just heart. pure and gorgeous that just <laughs> hang a shingle, let people come, and nothing else. And I mean, you do. You, you you have to at some point realize that you are um, a business owner and there has to be a marketing <laughs> department and uh, and you know that that's the kind of thing that makes you want to quit the whole enterprise but um I did like just being a Mysore teacher is just lovely and gorgeous oh my god it's like um, I'm, I'm until so, so someone perfect. like until yeah. someone fucking kicks out at you and, and says, uh, no, John taught me something different. <laughs> Fuck off. It's like, uh, no, but that's just, I mean, mm. I think the thing is, is we're always, we're always coming up against our own projections. And like, like you're saying as a teacher, if someone's saying, I don't like it that way, I want to do it different. And you're feeling like your ego is being offended by that. You got to do your own work and look at like, like, what is it in you that, is being triggered mm-hmm. and like what kind of like wound yeah, or yeah. history or story do you have that you need to do work around? This is the whole thing is the, is the how defensive and insecure are you that any slight to your authority sends you off and uh, you start taking people off your cake list uh, <laughs> or authorized list or whatever it is. It's a big job. The thing is I've never had to worry about that. You know, I set up, so we set up in 2009 and it's, yeah. and um, I, like I said, it was the only thing I ever wanted to do. I saw, I saw the power in what John and Lucy were doing. And I just was like, that's just really, I, I just, I saw him, right? So this is the thing. I saw him teaching in that way. And I thought I, at some point would like to be teaching like that. That was almost like it, yeah. it. When I saw him teaching, it was like, there's a teacher who I'd like to emulate. There's someone I'd like to emulate. Exactly. If I was ever going to do this for, for, as a, for real, there's someone I'd like to emulate. <laughs> and then I saw, yeah. and when I saw them teaching, go back, going back to us, Russell, right at the beginning, like what they were doing down in Cornwall and how they were, you know, transform over over five days, transforming people's practice mm-hmm. just by the way that they were able to see the body or see the breath or work with a language, all that kind of the way that John mm-hmm. has a beautiful way of really using metaphor and yeah. um, and direction and 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 
the storytelling and stuff like that. And with Lucy, with the way that she was able to see energy and see the body and uh, you know her alignment, it made me go, this is something like the, it changed me. And I was like, this is what I would like to be able to, um, this is how I'd like to be able to, to share the move this forward. It felt for me like really, and I was never, I met, I met Pataba Joyce like, you know, three times just in the, in the, in the, when he did the tours. I never went and studied in Mysore. I, I wanted to, but never got the opportunity. Um, and so I thought to myself, well, to, to do this justice, I want, to start, find a, I want to find a teacher who I deeply connect with. And it was mm-hmm. that. It was just I found that connection. I found, you know, it was the way they made me feel. But it's also it's like, well, how is he doing? How is that? How is he doing that? What's him? What's going on that he can see, that he can sense? And that was the, mm-hmm. and, and that was the evolution of my going, seeing someone, I, I, the evolution of the sensitivity that was coming alive in me mm-hmm. and seeing it kind of like, like, like in relationship to deli- like in the Mysore room because I didn't see him anything yeah. out of that, but going, how is he able to sense that? Do you know what I mean? How is mm-hmm. that supposed, how is he supposed to feel that? How does he know that thing? And so for me, it was potent. And I was like, and I, but I also saw that, you know, in those five days that something really powerful was happening. And that's why the Mysore method became, you know, I remember the first class over, I took over as existing class. And in 2004, I think, it was only because the teacher who I was going to was suddenly left. And he went to (laughs) set up a retreat and he was going, you should take it over. And went, I'm fine. Thank you. I'm happy just practicing. (laughs) And everyone else was going, but you're really good at it. You should do it. I'm going, I'm all right. And they went, please. And I went, okay, I'll do it. But I don't know what I'm doing. So (laughs) I just went, I actually did another teacher training with a, with a, right at the beginning with a guy called Brian Cooper. I don't know if you ever met him. He's an amazing, he's a, I've heard of him. Amazing. He's a, he's a really, uh, he's a really amazing uh, character, but he was a great teacher, right teacher at the right time. But he, he, he. I think kind he has like a, one of the oldest teacher trainings in England or in London, right? Yeah, I mean, the, I did the first the ever two hundred. I did the first ever one of the first ever two hundred hour teachers in the UK. Like he was in, he was yeah. in Scotland, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and it was his. And then uh, and and but so I went and studied with him because I was but I'd be given this class. I'd better learn how to do this properly. So I did. And and then when as soon as I took over this class, it was guided. I said to everyone, "By the way, we're now doing Mysore," <laughs> and they were like, "Oh no, what?" No, no, that's, no, no, that's no, no. What I signed up. Can we have like, can we have someone else now? <laughs> like, from anyone else? Yeah. Um, but I took yeah. it over because I was like, this is what I want to be able to teach, and I want to, and, and I could see the benefit of it. Um, and so when I when I set up Stillpoint in two thousand nine, it was all I ever wanted to do was. And the beautiful mm. thing about setting up a Mysore program, right where it was in the heart of South London Bridge, uh, right next to mm-hmm. one of the main stations in London was that both like Oscar and I, who I uh, set it up with, we were still working. And because it was a Mysore program, we'd like do it, I'd start it, and then we would go to work. <laughs> so we didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't have a thing that had, it didn't have to be a thing that worked off its own back. We both had other jobs. So we yeah. were doing something because we were passionate about it. And it just grew and grew and grew from there. Um, what sort of work were you, were you doing during the day? What was that? Were you a builder? You're an electrician. I'm an electrician, yeah. Yeah. This is why oh, yeah. I'm. A, this is why I'm a really good Mysore teacher, because <laughs> I just was able to get up. 
and go to yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. Getting up early, no problem. Literally, I got that covered. You just have to get yeah. up at like half at five o'clock and get on a building site for like half past seven. And I just did it like <laughs> up an hour early and I just got up and I'm there. And I learned how to, I just, you have to get up and be consistent. And that's what being a Mysore teacher yeah. is, is like, you have to <laughs> keep doing it and keep being there. But what yeah. I loved about the Mysore thing is like, and what, what became really apparent quite quickly, because we literally, we've just, I taught in the same area, but by the pandemic for the mm. last Fourteen years, fourteen and a half years, um, and all you are is uh, a consistency for people. Yeah, mm. I really you're, you're admire there. that. You're there because people know you are. I'm there yeah. as much as I can. People know, know, people know that everything can be going through their lives, but they know they'll turn up at London Bridge at half six, and I'll be like, "Hi, good morning, how are you?" Yeah. And that's the beautiful yeah. thing about a long-term Mysore program, which is why I always loved about Hamish and Eddie, the people who've been doing yeah. it that long term, that's they become these kind of just placeholders for people because who know they have something consistent to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Harmony's uh, dad's an electrician <laughs> as well, but I I, I was just gonna say that I really Hamish. admired that I did it. I really admired that in my dad that he that you know, I've worked for him on occasions because he's a he's a mechanic and he just would just do that. Just get up at seven o'clock, go to work. We'd go to Timmy's for breakfast and get a coffee and a donut. And then we'd go to work and do that every day. And then there was a particular time, I think when I was in my late teens, early 20s, where he then wanted after work to take me to the pool hall where we could uh, smoke reefer in the parking lot and then go pick up chicks. <laughs> and we were, you know, basically twins at the, that age. And people really thought that we were brothers or twins. And I mean, then the kind of bl- the, the lines of, of parenting kind of got blurred. <laughs> I was like, this is, like this it. might be in a, might be inappropriate <laughs> that we're high and picking up chicks yeah, together yeah, and the girls would always gonna look at us as like what's going on here <laughs> i i want to talk to you because i think also you have a deep passion and love for buddhism and i think that's something that we both connected on to when we first met and did you notice that in the barbie film that it's a buddhist film <laughs> did you see it <laughs> don't tell me I- Go on, tell me, tell me, Russell, what are the, where are the Easter eggs? The Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths are right there in the film when she walks out of the palace for the first time and experiences, like, um, the, the uh, devas, yeah, yeah. the first the bit of suffering. dust on the, on the petals of the rose. She experiences that. She walks out of the palace she ex- and she sees old age and, and she's standing there looking at and viewing the park and she sees suffering for the first time in all its forms. Um, uh, poverty, yeah. um, uh, conflict and old age. And she's struck by it, but also sort of struck by its innate beauty. And then having realized that everything is suffering, uh, real, th- understands that she has to um, give up her attachment to main, maintaining uh, uh, permanence 
and must accept that things are impermanent. And then when she does accept that things are impermanent, she can then go to the gynecologist and experience bliss. <laughs> and then she is fully human that she can just go <laughs> on. It's like, oh, you know, things are fine. If you just take, if you just accept it, go, go to your yeah. appointment, you know, get your bits examined and then move on. Yeah. <laughs> and Ken's Ananda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the fully, she's, it's, I, I would, I'm going to, I'm going to bet yeah. a thousand quid that Greta Gerwig is, is a Buddhist practitioner. You should write an article on that. You should, def, I want to, I want to see you form that into like a, a proper, a proper piece. Yeah, put it on your I'll, blog. Uh, I'll copy paste it to you. Someone wrote already wrote an article on it. I, <laughs> I did. I did write. It's just you've done it in AI, but, haven't you? Chat GPT. Yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't use Chat GPT, but I did text it to me friends on Discord. It's like, oh, you guys, you're gonna love this movie, bros. But when I came in and I had the great pleasure of practicing with you in Tenerife for like a day um, or two, <laughs> two days, but um. I was just really moved and struck by your presence and um, the energy that was very soft, but, you know, also strong. And also this sort of, it felt very like meditative in the practice space. And I think you're, it's, that's very intentional for you. Even when I was practicing with you in London at London Bridge recently, you bring this presence, this meditative presence, into the way that you're teaching Mysore. And I mean, it's just also a part of your nature, I think. <laughs> but what, how the did wackery. you kind of bring these things together? Or how are you bringing these things together in your own practice and teaching and life? I mean, I mean, the whole thing is like, you know, when you kind of, the thing is, when you talk so many people, when you talk to so many people for so many years, you know, I, we, there was a time when, like, in we were in London and, and uh, you know, we were getting, like, 30 to 40 people a day for a long wow. period of time before the pandemic. And then it went to, like, between 20 and 40, that kind of thing. And you meet mm -hmm. them over and over again. Um, and the other thing, the other thing is really interesting is, like, John's, you know, so John's my teacher. Uh, John was my teacher. Um, but... I, uh, but I never, I, st I studied with him a lot and we were friends, he came to Still Point, but I never went away and talked with him. And he had this, used to have this thing where people would go, he would take a lot of his, like, his teachers away and they would go and like, like teach with him in Goa or all the Salento, mm. all these places and um, come back and people, and, and I used to be this, almost like Still Point used to be this kind of like run through, like people who wanted to do teacher trainings would, you know, when John was doing a lot of them, you know, I'd send them, if you said, I'd say people in, in Stillpoint, if you want to study or learn to, to be a teacher, just go and do John Scott's training, go and John and Lucy's training. And um, and so people would go and do that. But I I, I, I would go and study with them a little bit, but I'd, I'd, I'd still be just doing my own thing in London Bridge. It wouldn't be like, I realized that I'd learned amazing stuff from these people, but there was also like this starting to feel like what is it that i'm actually doing here like mm. what is it that i'm actually what is it that we're actually doing um, mm. 
And yeah, because well, when you have people come in, you know, what happens is like, this is the interesting thing about teaching. What I love so much about teaching in a city, because it's, a, it's an incredible environment. To, it's a really a beautiful environment to be able to teach in. You're teaching retreats and all these places in the world, which are beautiful and going on retreats is really important. But teaching in a city is about creating a space or a retreat-like space or a space where people can let for a couple of hours each one or an hour, however they need, to let go of their concerns and come into a room and explore what it means to move and breathe and be themselves. And mm. I saw that, like, what is the, what's the Ashtanga, where is the Ashtanga practice pointing us to? Like, is it this thing that's like, oh, once you do that pose, you can do, that means that. And once you're doing this kind of like, and, and what are we actually noticing um, when we're breathing, when we're moving, when we're practicing? What are we noticing right now? And, you know, it, it really became apparent um, for me. I started to really massively question what I was doing with this when, um, when my business partner, Oscar, died in 2012. And uh, we were running, we'd run it together from 2009 to 2012. And then in 2012, Oscar who, who died, who passed. Oscar, Oscar yeah, yeah. Oh. And um, she passed in 2012, um, suddenly, like, um, she was 34. And she had a bad fall in India and, like, all the whole life ahead of her. Um, and, th and then she, like, had this bad fall and within three days she was, um, she was dead. And, like, it was... Um, it was an incredibly like uh, uh, moving time because I, again, it was another shift in sensitivity because like when you're teaching with someone, you know, you can like, for some of the days it would, you could feel like, oh, do you know what? Just, I'll let, look, I can just don't, and I don't have to do too much today. Like I'm feeling a bit like that. Oscar can do, you know what I mean? You can play off <laughs> yeah. each other a little bit. Which is I'm quite sorry, nice. Her name is um, Oz Osgood. 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 Okay. Yeah. Osgood. Okay. Um, okay. And yeah, she was Turkish. And, oh, I But see. she was this incredible spirit. Like she was a beautiful woman. Like an incredible woman. Like a really lovely friend, colleague. You know, practitioner. She had lots, lots of lovely. She created a real kind of uh, connection with a lot of people all over the place because she was so vibrant and full of life. And <laughs> I was really, it was a real pleasure to be able to share the space and build this program, program with her. So when she wasn't there, it was just like suddenly she wasn't there. It was like, this isn't supposed to happen. Like, that's mm. not in the kind of like, that's not yeah. in the program, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But then suddenly you're, I was placed in this kind of, um, position of going right now I've got to make the decisions around what happens now after like you know I had the day after she died I reopened it up in the morning and I because everyone was on Facebook then it was before Instagram going what the hell's going right. on and I said well I'm opening still I'm going to open still point up on the 2nd of January and I did and we just and then everyone came in we had like 20 people all the students in there and in Louise and and everyone was really, really, everyone was like, everyone was emotional in their own way. And we'd, we'd put up an altar. And I sat there, I was mm. thinking, I know what this means for me. <laughs> this means mm. that now I, I have to 
direct it. And I was once at one point, like that almost was like the fight that I've lost, you know, I was going through these layers of emotions, lost someone that close to me had never died before. At the same mm-hmm. time, we were in the heart of this incredible visceral um, space, which is what like a beautiful yoga studio is. A beautiful yoga community is, is like this thing that's alive and and connected and just has this beautiful energy flowing through it of like these ideas and these um you know these ways and so i was in the heart of that and i was sitting in front of her her picture and these candles and going what the fuck do i do now <laughs> half of yeah. things like that and as clear mm-hmm. as the light of day like she popped into my mind and she said it's going to be fine like just 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 go do it just carry on go and see everyone and so from there i just knew what i had to do i just turned around and went to each of every one of those students who was there and sat with them like in whatever position where they were and i said all i said was like whatever you you know it's really sad it's so awful however what however she meant to you whatever whatever you're holding whatever light she she had in your life like keep that because she was that vibrant and full of like energy and full of life and full of love that holding on to it will be deeply meaningful and will kind of i more often i would suggest it would send you in the right direction however she made you feel whatever's that life she gave because what happened when she died i had to i had to send this email to 500 600 people at the time saying I'm really sorry to say your teachers passed away. Yeah. And having to, and then suddenly getting this influx of like, you start to see in someone's death, you actually see how full of life they were and how much they meant. Yeah. Um, and I then remember going, I went like, you know, I've said it before, we had this kind of week of like, uh, like memorial. And then when I opened up the next, the following week, when we got back to normal, I was just like, um, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move. People were put in the room and uh, people were practicing and I was practicing with them because I was still didn't, was really like, I don't know how to do this. And then, you know, again, what, what, what makes a, a beautiful teacher a beautiful teacher is one who comes and supports you. And John came up on the Tuesday, <clears> a <throat> week and a half after nice. she died. And he said to support me, he said, Scott, we're going to, I'm going to run the warning class. And they're going to do it in Oz's memory, and you're going to help me. So everyone yeah. came. He run the, He did a beautiful memorial class on the Tuesday, and then we went out and had mm. uh, a long four-hour catch-up afterwards. And he just the one yeah. of the most beautiful things anyone has ever said to me, right? Is I said, "What? What do I do tomorrow, John?" He goes, "What you do is when they come in." You ask them how they are. Look at me, I ask them how they are. And then if they say they're okay, then you put them on their mat and you just say, Akum. <laughs> Trini. And you just continue and you just carry on. Counting. And it was yeah. just the, the thing that I needed to do because I'm like, we just continue. Everything, to, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> No. Yeah. You know, everything changes. Nothing stays the same. 
but we just continue. Yeah. And this is kind of like a, this is a poem I wrote last year, my favourite one. Like everything changes, nothing stays the same, and we just continue. And it was just beautiful. It was just the best teaching I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And that's mm. all I've done ever since was just like go, oh, come on, let's just go. It's going to support that ability to continue in an open and spacious way. Now, what happened was it was like, I, on going from that, you know, I was, you know, I was I'd working with a teacher at the time, just doing some mentoring, and she was a mindfulness teacher as well. And I'd start, I'd st- decided to study uh, mindfulness. I, I, I know what happened. I remember right at that time, I'd started to lean into the teachings or the work of Michael Stone. Oh yeah. And Michael Stone's voice and way and words were exactly what I needed to hear at that point in time in my life. Michael who was died. Talking... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was a one of them. He was and he was the he was the link because he was he'd studied with like Richard and Mary. Richard and Mary, and yeah. He was, he was a student of Richard and Mary's. He was still mm-hmm. doing Jamaican. He'd like so he was an Ashtanga teacher who'd gone yeah. back to Toronto, set up a Charlotte, was teaching to so had been doing a lot of the Ashtanga yoga practice, but at the same time was would study the Dharma. And so yeah. he set yeah. up and he was he was the first one who was using like the internet and, and doing videos and like yeah. and he was at the time and I remember seeing this incredibly beautiful um Video that Ian McKenzie, this uh, this 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 videographer, this filmmaker who I followed, had done of him. At, what was the name of the when everyone set tents up next to in the cities next to the banks? What was the name of that movement oh. around two thousand twelve? Oh, um, yeah. Like yeah. The, anyway, it was yeah. We are was, the was, was, we are the ninety nine percent. Ninety nine percent. Yeah. Yeah. Something. It was that movement around about that time, yeah. and there's this really beautiful video. I just could not stop watching that really touched me about what he was saying in his words. And I went, this man is and his voice and his language and the way he's kind of communicating again is is create I'm sensing something in it. And I really and when mm-hmm. that happens, I um, you know, I just I I, I, I love watching myself be moved by things. Mm. Um, and so mm-hmm. it was this and what he was using he was using yoga he was talking about the dharma he was looking at ways that we can like ways that we can practice but in a way that's more like this idea of horizontal like it's not this high yeah. not this kind of like vertical opening but this horizontal way of moving into the world and it and it, and it the, got uh, me thinking about his practice yeah, occupy. That's it. It got me thinking about the Ashtanga yoga practice. About when we call it a moving meditation, which is always mm-hmm. what you know. That's right at the beginning. It's a moving meditation. Is yeah. it? Are you really, yeah. really? What are you really noticing when you're practicing? And I remember, like, when I did a when I did start, I decided to do some mindfulness training. Training found a really beautiful mindfulness teacher, mm-hmm. and I remember when. I was like learning, teaching us how to do body scans. And I did a body scan and I was learning to teach them and, and do them. And then one day, so you lie there for like, you know, 40 minutes, just traveling through the body. And I think, I wonder what would happen if I felt like this when I did my Bashtanga practice. <laughs> yeah. And so I did, well, one day I did a body scan and I did, I did my, and then I was like, let's continue to explore what this 
feeling, this movement, this feeling in my body as I move and I breathe. And it was just like this incredible new way of just, again, one of those moments where you go, well, I didn't expect that because nothing had changed. Yeah. Right. Everything had changed. Because yeah. I was just going, hey, can do I do the podcast? I was suddenly the presence, this awareness, this sense of like me not having to fight or just going like that, like that. It was almost yeah. like what happens if I feel my arms rise up? Mm. What happens if when I fold forward, I just softly fold forward, but not kind of trying to get forward as like really pulling forward, but actually move forward in a way. And it kind of, it kind of really then started to take what I'd learned with John. That's really um, interesting. I, I, again, in my own way and really go like this, you know, really. And, and then it really helped me to explore my practice. But more, more often than that, I'm like, I was looking at, I was having, watching people every morning come in and practice and fight, trying to find their way into poses. And I'm going, what are we pushing? Why are we pushing? Yeah. Why are we pushing? What happens if we soften? And generally, if we, I found that if we softened the way that we approached how we moved, we took the kind of this kind of really strong tapasic kind of we have to do practice like this, and we still practice with the same quality, but we changed the intention, mm. the way the way we practice changed, and you noticed the breath, you noticed how the breath initiated the movement before, and you on your body followed it, so it became this real kind of like hive of my own really noticing the changing nature of, well, like, this feels good because I'm in my 40s now. It yeah. feels like I could, this is an, a way I can feel like my body changing and the way that I feel, I could, there's a lightness here that I, can, mm -hmm. that I can bring to this and yet I can still practice in, in a direction or in a way that makes sense. So, I don't know, it just became, again, this, uh, another way of, by then I've been practicing like Stunga for like, you know, 10, 11 years maybe. Mm -hmm. So I, the listening element and when you teach with people and, you know, when w there's an openness here, this sensitivity that you'd kind of or go right back into, Russell, I think I'd really started to trust it. Mm. I'd well started to trust it. Yeah. It's it's really interesting and fascinating how how you've put it and then it's it's uh, it reminds me of when I was in the rave scene in Chicago, which is similar to Manchester in the early nineties, late eighties. Is um, you you kind of go into it thinking it's a party, and then you find yourself taking a lot of ecstasy and <laughs> cuddling with someone in the corner and having these extraordinary moments of of trust and insight into your own condition of, of, you know, and like just feel so safe. And, and I, I, I didn't use a lot of ecstasy because I, I noticed that I could feel it whenever I wanted to. If I just listened, it's like, Oh yeah, that's exactly what ecstasy feels like. I feel safe. I feel sensation everywhere. If I just listen for it. And then when I did Vipassana, I was like, oh, this is exactly the same. This is ex exactly what ecstasy feels like. You feel sensation everywhere if you allow yourself to listen to it. And, and doing that, it, it explodes the category of asana. 
because you're always in your body. And if you're doing Ashtanga yoga and you're doing a posture, you're walking the dogs, you're playing golf, you're sitting in a chair. It's just all the fucking same thing. <laughs> there is there is no exactly. category of difference between those activities. And for someone to say that golf isn't yoga, it's a fuck off, it is. Well, it depends. What you're saying though is that what makes something yoga is the quality of attention quality, quality of, attention. of awareness yes and so i'm gonna just like beg to differ that most like 99 percent of golfers may or may not be uh, yeah, attuned yeah, yeah. to the yeah. quality of awareness yeah, of yeah. their body yeah fuck those guys <laughs> no. but i'm saying that when you have the quality of awareness then yes everything is you with your breath in your body in in posture and and so yeah I mean, the yoga practice creates the conditions to make that your main focus, but even then, it's often not our main focus. So it's it's an interesting I mean, kind yeah, of. Yeah, no, it is because we because because what we do is we place the idea of the, everything on top of it. Yes. So mm -hmm. we place the idea of poses or let the way that's supposed to look on top of it, rather than trusting what something feels like for you. Mm -hmm. And so. What we've got is this kind of like <clears throat> we've got this system where we're trying to feel. Mm -hmm. We're trying to feel. We're trying to feel what openness and spaciousness means. You know, I've the for me the what really the word sukha instead of sukha. When you when you say it's not just comfortable, when you think of it as good space. Mm -hmm. Which is a which is a a, a a term and a translation of it, which I love and which I use. Yeah. It transforms the way you understand what your what you're sensing in yourself. Because how can you breathe with space? How can you move with space? How can you sit with space? What does it mean to feel? And how can you feel? You can feel like an opposed stuck, but what does being stuck mean? Mm. what are we fighting against yeah all of these things are like just these these ideas of going this practice means everything you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that but all of it is just a way of you moving your body from one way to the next and feeling it mm -hmm. and how are you doing it yeah like how are you moving how are you if you are doing uh, like a vinyasa are you really following the body to the fullness of the breath Probably, maybe, but most, most not. Are you really feeling that movement? Mm -hmm. Or is it just kind of like an action that we do because we do it? Rather than sensing the, the full expression of what the breath moving the body and the possibility of it. And the whole practice is built on this, a way of, of, of nurturing this awareness. It's like, it's not this thing, it's like... Uh, uh, it can be it is, can be consistent. You're getting to that consistency, but you know the, the meditation isn't about. For me, isn't about this thing about controlling the mind. Mm. It's actually controlling and being aware of everything I'm sensing and feeling. And this is like where the the teachings of mindfulness came in because you have the four foundations which work perfectly with asana. You have. The, the, the foundation, first foundation, which is the body, the second foundation, which is feelings, the third foundation, which is the mind, and the fourth foundation is what you do with that, what the outcome of all that is. Mm -hmm. and so what it's, it shows you is that oh, right now, 
I've got a pain or I've got a discomfort. And then it means, and that we, we make it mean something. Mm-hmm. There's a pain, it means this. Mm-hmm. But actually, can you soften and move in a way that's open so perhaps that pain isn't something where you go, you have to be concerned about it, perhaps, but what is, what is it you're being concerned with? What is it that you're feeling? Can you change the way that you move something so that perhaps that pain lessens? Mm. So you're kind of like, you're, what, the, what, the, what the beautiful thing that the, or the, the, some of the teachings of the Dharma show us is that things are arising or falling away and we're noticing them. Mm-hmm. Like the Ashtanga practice is so beautifully grounded that you can be aware of everything. It's just that we think we have to do this and do that and do this and try and fight our way into this, when actually if you softened your approach to the way that the thing you're doing already, Mm. the whole thing changes. Mm. Because it becomes about, it doesn't become about trying to get anywhere. It it comes about being exactly where you are now. Mm. And not worrying about what's coming next, just being, uh, being, being open to the, exactly what you feel, what you sense, how you're moving, where your breath is, all of these things. The whole possibility becomes, like, becomes more open. Mm-hmm. And this is, the, this is the thing that I, that I love about it, that what I've discovered and what, the, the way that we teach and still point and is how can you practice with, this open, with an openness? Like, are we still, here's a question, <laughs> are we still practicing for someday being enlightened? I guess. Is, if... is, is this Ashtanga yoga, is some point, is samadhi going to happen? Or can you stop and notice and just be present right now and not worry yeah. about the future? Yeah, well, yeah. That, and that, to me, what, that's, that's freedom, what every right? single vinyasa yeah. <laughs> That's what every single vinyasa offers us. Yeah. This yes. ability to feel and be more present and more open in what it, it, mean, it feels it means to yeah, that, move. You know, it comes back to, comes back to this, um, this time when after Oscar died. I was just mm-hmm. like, like when they really asked me, what am I actually doing here? We live in a city. I, you know, we live in a city. People come in and they go to work. And people come in, and and, and when you're, you're when you're dealing and teaching in a city, I think you should be kind of like, especially in a city like London, when you've got like all the different seasons. It's dark in the winter, it's light in the summer. Yeah, it's not like you're practicing in India. No, <laughs> it's no, like it's not. you have to you have to respond. You respond to what the what you can do is what the, the way again the way the practice is so beautifully structured is because you can use it to respond to your life circumstances. Yeah, and so I was looking at people after my best friend died. I'm like, what is this all about? Like, why someone like can be 34, have their whole life ahead of them, and suddenly it's gone? Mm-hmm. What are we fucking worrying about now? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why don't I? And I became, I decided to. Well, I mean, I wasn't anyway. But I thought I'm just not going to be another shitty yoga teacher. People go to work after. People go to have to go to work to be with people they don't want to be with, yeah. and then you get enough agbar at work. 
they don't need me telling them what to do and not to do and go, don't, oh, I'm just shouting at them, which <laughs> can happen in some charlas. Yeah. I just thought, how can I be, how can I be helpful? How yeah. can I just be helpful with what, well, with, the, with what comes up between us and what, and what comes alive in the relationship of the room and the moment? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love it. that. When people I think... walk out a little bit lighter mm-hmm. than they came in. And you, I think that is a total what you've created in the space and in the teaching. And you bring up such beautiful points like about us projecting into the future, like some future state of enlightenment, whatever that means to you and really exploring like, what is that a state free from suffering? Like, that's not going to happen. You live in a body, like, kind of like what we were talking about. There's always old age and sickness and injury and death. Like, sorry, <laughs> like all of these things are going to happen as long as you have a body, and even if you're broken, enlightened, right? Broken ambitions. And then like coming up against these obstacles, like all of these things in our practice, in our life. But, you know, just to use an example in our practice, it doesn't even have to be an injury. It can just be like that posture that you're not looking forward to because it makes you feel bad about yourself or, you know, it's hard or, you know, and so then you're, there's resistance there. And I mean, as an example, um, you know, when I was practicing with you, I, I told you already that you give me, you gave the best Marichiasana D adjustment I've ever had. And it was, it was just like mm. this beautiful. Offended. Yeah. <laughs> but it's this beautiful, like. Sorry, Russell. <laughs> so much, you know, when we come up against these postures that are challenging or difficult, or there's some obstacle that, you know, perceived obstacle in the way, we tend to try and fight against it or push through it or resist it. And that just makes it harder. And then, you know, within the adjustment, within your approach, um, it just embodies so much acceptance and so much relaxation and so much softness. And rather than resisting the obstacle, it was really about just like being with it and breathing with it and softening into it. And then all of a sudden there's so much space and room to move. And and it was just like a beautiful physical uh, embodiment um, of a deeper experience that you know, we all have every day in our lives with different things. And to me, that's really like, like the depth of a good asana practice and the depth of a good experience in an asana practice is that you have these moments that you're somatically able to um, feel and embody that softening around something that's a perceived obstacle or perceived difficulty or something you're not looking forward to. And then And then when you somatically integrate that relaxation or integrate that acceptance, you're then able to change your approach to other obstacles that maybe aren't like a physical thing, but it's an emotional obstacle or a a stressful situation. Yeah, it's practice, isn't it? It's practice for other things. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, I think everything that you're speaking to is so beautiful. And, And then to not run a space that's like necessarily like a dictatorship kind of dogmatic, um, you know where you're just making people not feel good enough. And we can get addicted to that pattern too, right? Of like, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And then we go to a a yoga practice and just perpetuate that pattern of, oh, I'm striving. I'm never going to get there. I'm really trying to get there. Oh, I got there. There, I can feel good and worthy for a moment and a second in my life. But now the goal is like, again, outside of me. And now I'm just going to push and strive and try and achieve. And right. And so it's like this beautiful kind of paradox about being present with what is, 
you know, accepting, integrating, I think shifting yeah, yeah. your perspective rather than yeah. always just perpetuating the the dominant pattern in our culture and in our ourselves as humans. I think, you know, like the last thing you want to beat yourself up against is your own yoga practice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like this practice can this practice can kind of like it can really wake you up or it can really pull you down yeah. it's your choice about what you want to do with it and and the ashtanga practice is built in this way because like if you can't do something or if you can't do it then you feel bad about it or people can you know there's that continued challenge but it's how you it's the intention you bring to that challenge it's the intention you bring it's it's not even about the the you know the one pose like the idea of a struggle pose mm-hmm. I think that's a misnomer. I think how can you bring the quality of attention so that the pose is just a part of the whole experience? Mm -hmm. You know, if we're struggling in one thing, we have to look back at every previous thing and change that. Definitely. The the practice is so beautifully choreographed, you know. It's just such a, I still, like, it's it's why I've never felt I needed to, go anywhere else or teach because and this is why we do the same thing every day because the thing doesn't change but we do mm-hmm. and we're honoring that and we learn how to change with the thing yeah so it's like that one thing is like oh that pose i can't do it i can't do it yet why don't you look at everything else you're doing as well and it's it's never just the one thing. It's all about the everything. How do we how do we how does the whole thing blossom? And I think for me that's like the power of it. The whole thing blossoms the more we bring the awareness to every and openness to everything that we do with it. And you're right, it's this massive metaphor around then I can bring something like an openness to my life. You know, the postures themselves are just positions we're placing in we in our body in. And hoping it means something. Mm. But what can I do if I just if I can't do this this pose? Well, what can I do? What 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 is what attention am I bringing to myself as I do it? What stories am I telling myself? And this it just comes back again to the philosophy about the stories we tell. Mm. You know, we we learn how to. You know, what like I said, I think the way that talking to you and like like thinking about it i think what i've done over the years is get in touch with this ability to 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 be comfortable with this sensitivity i have of myself and be more be more connected to that and be you know this is why i started writing and creating in certain ways um that felt meaningful because Mm. things i feel touched by things i've been moved by things i feel like you know and that's how my practice feels yeah. I feel like my practice on any given day can be really moving, not emotional, but like I can let go into it. It's not this thing where I'm pushing through something. Mm. It's a real sense of openness that I can find. And, you know, like no posture, no practice ever feels the same. We are mm. with that as well. Because we think we're trying to just kind of like, do it like this and this and this when actually what happens is every every day you're fresh every day you're new every day there's something more to notice and like when i raise my arms up in akum like what does it feel like to raise my arms today in a way that's light that's open that feels like it's got an attentiveness to it mm. 
I don't know. It's just kind of like it just kind of became much more. Um, I don't compassionate. know. Compassionate. Like became moving. <laughs> compassionate. More like yeah. I, I placed my, my I placed myself at the heart of it. Yeah. Like the, the posture, you know, the practice comes out of me. It's not like a. This is a thing. It's like you know, when when we look at yoga teachers, it's like quite often you have the practice. You have a yoga teacher, the practice, and a student, and the, the practice sits between the teacher and the student. The mm-hmm. student and the t- teacher says, "You've got to do it like that." Mm-hmm. Right, that's how you've got to do it. It has to be like that. Whereas what I there's other teachers like I mean, what I what I try and see is here's the practice between us. Here's mm-hmm. the practice that we know, and how does that come out alive in this moment? in a way that makes sense and honors where we are right now. Yeah. Like it comes out of, it's drawn out of the person. It's not a practice that's there and they you put it and this is a Stanga yoga and this is me and that Stanga yoga, this sequence goes in like that. It's this blossoming of something that evolves out of your awareness of it. Mm. And it's, and, and you start to see it's just, it's, it's like, it's not just movement. It's not just me going, move my hands up and move my hands forward. It's this whole sensitivity of understanding the nature of what it means to be human, to move in relationship to my breath, to feel and to sense. And so this is the thing, like, this is what, this is how I teach now, because it's like, you know, in most workshops I go to, I just ch- I teach this way and, and a predominant amount of people change the, the way they move. Mm. And it's just all I'm doing is going, listen more. That beautiful mm. quote, the, the most, my favorite line that starts any book is the mirror of yoga. Like Freeman yeah. writes, yoga begins with listening. Mm. Mm-hmm. He didn't need to write anything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's true. And everything. But yoga, and he's true because it's not about, but it's not about listening. It's, been listen, it's this deep, deep, yeah. deep listening. Um, and mm. how... And we all we all all have to check in with how we're listening because we're listening through different lenses. And all I'm doing is going, here's a lens, here's a lens of awareness, here's looking at it like this. And like all my workshops and things like that, it's just training people or just encouraging people to look with in a slightly new way at what they're doing already, just to see if it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And for some it does. For others, they're like, Yeah, that's nice and go back to the old way, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's just about offering a perspective that hopefully is helpful. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for offering <laughs> a helpful perspective to us and to our listeners and, and sharing. And, and it's, um, there's always an element of, of you know, um, people are, are consuming media as entertainment. And, but this, but this has been quite a kind of, an amazing journey to be a part of and to listen and to, I just want to thank you for, for, for sharing that. It's a um, true Dharma talk. It's a true Dharma talk. And so I just thank you, you for know, that. Like people, people are getting, I mean, the thing is people are getting, people are getting told there's so much information, yeah. right? And there's so many, like we, I've got podcasts, you've got podcasts, Adam's got podcasts. We've all <laughs> got these things of way we're trying to connect to people, right? But it just comes back to, like, what are you noticing? Yeah. Like, what are you holding on to that's true? What are you holding on to that's, like, helpful, that's not helpful? What are people telling you? What do you trust in yourself? 
we're all like adults. We can all explore. It comes back to this idea where we write back at the beginning, Russell, this idea of the guru. You know, like you've had Swenson on, I've had Swenson on. And he'll be like, the guru is you, is in you. The guru <laughs> is in you, that kind of thing. Um, but it's, but he's right. But we all have to work out where yeah. and how. Because we're, we're, you know, for doing this, and I don't know about you guys, but for doing this for such, for quite a long time, I, I do feel different than when I started. I'm not, you know, I still got crazy personal shit you know, I'm <laughs> having to deal with. But in my essence, in relationship to who I feel I am, as a, as because of doing yoga, I do feel like, I don't know, there's a, an openness, there's a sensitivity that's that's come from, from engaging, from exploring, from. And I think, you know, I think that's what I want for everyone. I want, I want us to kind of, I want people to not just go through the motions, mm. but I want people, I would invite people to just really explore what, what movement and, and what they feel at any given time. Yeah, I think that, that attention. Like at any given time. That attention to the present, to presence, to what's unfolding in the presence is... So powerful, and and what I've un- what I've learned is that like that presence is more a sense of who you feel you are in the world. Mm-hmm. If that's what samadhi is, then you know that ongoing, not this kind of, you know, these kind of either like sushumna and stuff like that, which is not <laughs> you know it's all there. But I think for most of us, we're just trying to be to feel more what it means to feel connected in the world like this one to feel like mm. who we are to feel what it means to use have a voice and have us and being able to connect and feel like we can create in a way that is meaningful mm. um, yeah. and so for me i think you know i think i just i just it's just it's the the end goal you know the end the end goal for me, isn't the asana, isn't trying to get to some pose. It's nice. You know, this morning, a beautiful student friend of mine did Karandavasana for the first time in six years. And we got up and she was like, ah, just because she's been coming. And all I said to her is try these kind of little movements here. And she was like over about three weeks, she's got it. And she got, and you have this kind of like thing. But now that's done. Right. Next. You, no, you know what I mean? It, and so, but but the point no, is, it's about it the her. moving <laughs> moments. Yeah, exactly. Now you have to come up. We can't go. You got to come up. Then we move on. <laughs> um, but the point is, it's like it's the moments. It's the feeling that I don't know. I I just I just think it's the things that bring us joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think joy is like the thing to bring us joy. I think this should not be this. This practice can bring us joy and bring us compassion and can be a beautiful way of us exploring ourselves in every moment. We don't have to think that the end pose or a pose we're trying to get to or that eludes us and we're never going to do it is a thing because it's not about that. It's just a 
is an element of taking back this practice and going, just explore it for the love of doing it. Mm, yeah. Just for the love of doing it, even if, you know. I love that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's taking the weight out of, like, what people think they're supposed to be doing, you know, and just saying love it. Love it for the sake of loving it. And if there are students out there who want to do yoga for the love of doing it, where where can where can they find you next? Well, I am in. <laughs> You'll find me. Well, like we're doing a lot of traveling this year, like so much. Yeah. Uh, and also, I want a Sharla, and I'm on and I'm online, and I'm doing all those things that you do. You do. Yeah. You have done. Um, still point is like. Still point is the heart of the work. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. on the, the ongoing Mysore program. Mm-hmm. But I'm traveling more in Europe. I go to, I've got a lovely retreat that I do annually in Salento in Italy in uh, October, which is a beautiful two weeks. Um, and then I think me and you, are, again, are back to back in. Yeah, we are in Tenerife in March. <laughs> and then you and Greg and are doing, doing a teacher then, training, me, right? Me and Greg. Me and Greg are trying to bring these ideas and to a teacher training at Purple Valley in April um, yeah. oh, nice. to begin to see how we can explore, um, explore and encourage people who want to, you know, become skilled, you know, in certain ways, uh, teachers of Ashtanga Yoga um, and compassionate in a compassionate and open way uh, mm-hmm. in Goa in next year in, in April. So, yeah, there's that. Nice. Beautiful. So, yeah, I mean, and they, it's just continuing to, to share in a, in a way, in, in as many ways as I can. You know, I feel like I'm doing a lot at the moment. But, you know, again, it's just... Uh, <laughs> you are. <laughs> it's, I've got such a passion for it. They yeah. can, uh, they they can, can contact you at scott at stillpoint.yoga. That's the way. Is there, and you have yeah. an IG, Scott Johnson Life. That's the best Scott way. Scott Johnson Life, yeah. It's me sharing poems and doing yeah good things. your beautiful poetry like. <laughs> and also the portraits yeah and the portraits on your youtube channel portraits, those are beautiful yeah. too yeah i'm doing a new thing i mean i've got i mean yeah i've got like uh the i'm still i've got some conversations on the podcast to come out um but i'm doing these new things called portraits on my youtube channel which are 15 minute conversations video conversations you're one of them which is lovely harmony uh, with yeah. people just i'm gonna about link it in the show notes like, what practice means <laughs> what what's what's what practice means what's meaningful i've had some just like and what it does is it kind of it means i can i feel like i can i love the long form but i feel with the short form and it's when you can see people and you can look at them yeah um we can i can talk to more people yeah. which means I can talk to students, I can talk to people I meet on who have got amazing stories. There's amazing, like two amazing stories. There's one up already, one coming up soon from Alexander Medin's uh, place in Nursen, two of his people, who came, his, his practitioners and teachers who came out of Nursen who uh, were back in the ring. Those mm-hmm. ones are gold. Yeah. Like where nice. people, where I can talk to people about what's meaningful to them in a short space of time. So it's kind of a more visceral, I don't know, it feels like a lovely thing to do. So, yeah, that's the portraits on YouTube. Yeah, beautiful. And we'll put all your links in our show notes. Thanks for spending time with us today. It was just so beautiful. It's an absolute pleasure. Of course. (laughs) Let's do it again. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the break